This morning as we open our Bibles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and uh, be reading from verses 11 through 16 here in, in just a little bit. Let go and let God. We're continuing on and we'll do that through uh, uh, next week. Let go and let God. Let's break that down into two. First of all, let go. Let go of what? What are we what are we talking about? I don't even know if this sentence makes sense. If an English teacher were to come in and say, is that a proper way to put a sentence, let go and let God? I don't know. It's probably not a finished sentence, but that's the idea is to make us finish it. So let go, let go of what? What are we talking about today? And then when we come to that next phrase, and let God, well, let God do what? Well, let's try to answer that uh, this morning. As we, as we work through the sermon, come to the end, and as Al prayed, say what God would want us to say today that we need to hear. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Second Chronicles 7, and we'll be looking at verses 11 through 16. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among the people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. You may be seated. Are you keeping up with your Bible reading? It's kind of hard, isn't it? But you got to do it. You just got to keep daily keeping up with that. And uh, if you are, by now you have realized you've covered a lot of years, haven't you? A lot of centuries passed by in those first few books of the Bible, especially through Genesis. But now we come to uh, our reading today it comes out of Second Chronicles. And if you take First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. They kind of parallel each other. And uh, it's all about the nation of Israel. It's all about the people of Israel. Basically from the year 1000 B.C. up to about 538 B.C. So a time period of about 462 years is covered in Chronicles and Kings. Kind of of the time of just the tail end of David all the way up to the tail end of of the land of Judah and all of its glory and being taken off to Babylon. And now the people are starting to come back. So um, they're coming back and just basically all the major minor prophets can be found in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and uh, so many other things there. But if you were to take these books, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, what do you suppose would be the most favorite, revered verse out of those books. Well, we've read it this morning. Second Chronicles 7.14, which was simply this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will 
forgive their sin and will heal their land. That is the favorite verse by far out of these four books as people read them and refer to again and again. In a cry to bring back America to God and to see our nation experience revival, that is the most often used verse of them all, the one that you have right there before you. But let's, uh, it's a very interesting verse, and also it is put in a very interesting setting and context of the Bible. So let's look at some things here. As we think about that verse, the time of the verse in Israel's history, what was going on, and, and so on. Here's the first thing that is very interesting to note. This was not a time Israel needed revival. I, you know, you read this verse and you think, oh, God is talking to a backslidden Israel nation. They are not backslid. These people are right on with God where they need to be. And, uh, and yet God is given them this verse. Let's consider some things about what is going on here that would tell us this is a really great time spiritually for the people. Number one, this is a nation of people that have been very obedient to God. They have just completed God's vision, God's assignment of building this temple, building this palace, this place for Solomon to live in. So the people have sacrificed. The people have come together. They have put in hard work and labor to build this this temple that God has directed them to build. We find that they are a nation that's very unified. There was not division. There were not factions. There was not war among the people. They were unified in in spirit and in, in every other way you could think of as a people. Another thing we can, we can gain from this is their obedience to God during this period has granted them peace and prosperity and uh, strength in their position in the world. Solomon with his armies is, is just about the greatest nation on earth at this time in military strength. And so God has, has really blessed them in their obedience. Here's another very interesting thing. If we really look at the whole context, read the chapter before and so on, we would come to realize this is coming on the heels of probably one of the grandest worship experiences man has ever witnessed. Probably the greatest worship experience ever to have come along uh, before Christ returns. Um, Never before in the tabernacle or the temple or ever after this would there be a service of this magnitude and kind. The whole nation has gathered together. In fact, it the writer says it was a vast assembly. So the whole nation has gathered together. This is an attendance record. I mean, it is filled to capacity and beyond the temple and so on. It is an event, and I'm trying to kind of figure this out, but I don't want you to figure it out and get distracted. But I'm assuming, kind of figuring up, it must have lasted about 14 days. This was quite an event of of 14 days going on. Here's another thing that's very significant. The greatest sacrifice of all time, animal-wise, has taken place. I don't know if if you and I can really uh, grasp the magnitude of what has taken place. 22,000 head of cattle have been sacrificed. 
Now, Lance here is probably the only one that can have any idea how many head of cattle that is. I know uh, uh, when I was in Wyoming and I helped go out and brand cattle and the calves, and a farmer or the rancher may have 500 calves, he would only brand about a third of them at a time every Saturday. And I remember helping them rope in those calves and getting them down and holding them down and getting them branded and all those things that they needed. It would take a whole afternoon to do about 133 calves or 166, whatever would be a third of 500. And that seemed like a lot of calves. I don't think we can really fathom 22,000 head of cattle. Not just shot with a gun and pushed over a hill, but but dressed out, all the portions put out the way they are supposed to be on the altar to be sacrificed. This, this is an undertaking that you and I can't even fathom. But then we go on and find out not only 22,000 head of cattle, 120,000 head of sheep and goats. This is one enormous sacrificial event that has just taken place. But let's go on further. The Levites, you see, were in charge of the music in the temple, in the tabernacle. And, and these Levites were trained men in all the different instruments. And we read surrounding this event that the trained men, the Levites, were put into place. And as the people came together for this great event, the music was played. I wish I could have been there, don't you? I wouldn't have understood the Hebrew that was used, the singing but I could have appreciated the music, I think, the instruments. Then Solomon prayed, and we find that as all this is taking place, this vast assembly, the sacrifices have just taken place, the music has been has, has done its part in the service. Solomon prayed, fire comes down out of heaven, consume the sacrifice, the glory of the Lord fills the temple, and the Israelites drop to the pavement, kneeling down faces to the ground and worship. Now, if you and I were there, if we could transpose that Old Testament, now New Testament, show us a service like that New Testament, you and I would have would go to a service like that and we would think, this is it. This is real worship. I've never seen anything like this or experienced anything like this in my life. So I'm painting for you a scene of a nation which is where it needs to be. It's not a nation that's fallen away from God and backslidden. They're exactly where they need to be. And yet God gives him this important verse. Why were those words necessary? You know how a coal furnace works? We don't really have them around here. There may be some around here. But there are, you get up to the, the mountain states and and I suppose back into Kentucky and Virginia and those states where coal is more prominent, and you heat with coal, it, 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 some of those old furnaces look pretty primitive. And uh, the furnace may be huge. And you open this door, and uh, you look into this furnace, and you see the coal if it's in action, and it is hot. Coal burns extremely hot. And there is a blower, and it is blowing air into this little pit 
that's made out of cast iron and and uh, the coal is is red hot and the air is blowing through it to keep it hot and then uh, somehow this heat that is built up in this heat chamber is taken up into the ductwork and transposed and, and sent to the home or the building, whatever you're heating there. But with a coal stove, there are some things that are very important that you have to maintain about it. Number one, of course, it takes coal to heat, and so coal has to keep coming into that that thing there. And uh, there's an auger that comes from a hopper that is filled with coal, and it, it slowly works the coal into the middle of this furnace, and it keeps burning up. So coal has to keep being replenished, and therefore the hopper has to keep being replenished. And it takes somebody that is willing to maintain that furnace to put the coal into the hopper every day so that heat continues. But likewise, every day, if it's an old, more of a primitive furnace, somebody has to open that door and look inside there and look into that pit where that fire is hot and take special tools and and take out what is called clinkers. Coal has metal in it and other mineral deposits. And so the coal burns up, but clinkers develop inside that pit. And if they build up too many, then it begins to have a dampening effect on the fire and you can't keep the fire going hot. So somebody has to keep pulling those clinkers out and so that everything keeps working well. By the same token, every year or two, no doubt that ring of uh, where the fire is, those pieces sometimes have to be replaced and um, fixed if they're falling apart or or whatever. And so it's quite a process of keeping the whole thing taken care of. Now, if you don't do those things, if you don't fill the hopper, or if you don't maintain the... the, uh, pit, the fire, and you forget about it, you could come in the next day and the air is blowing and the ductwork's blowing, but it's as cold as ice because the coal has ceased to burn. Nobody checked it. Nobody maintained it. Nobody filled the hopper. And uh, it just it just goes out. Now, In that story, in that illustration, the heat in the middle of that fire, in that that furnace, represents passion. 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 And at this time in Israel's history, as the temple is completed, as the people have held their service, as they've gathered together, as God has sent down fire, as they have knelt on their faces before God, their passion is hot. It's stoked. It's maintained. And uh, so God is, is inserting this verse into the middle of all that's being said here because he's saying to them, your passion must be maintained or it can go out. And if it goes out, then in the days to come, the years to come, you're going to need me in a very desperate way. And you're going to need revival. If you let the passion go out, God is telling the people, your love for me is going to grow cold. And sin is going to creep into your lives. And negligence is going to lead to spiritual poverty. So what we're saying this morning is that our passion for God has to be stoked. 
like the coal furnace. You've got to keep the air blowing. You've got to keep the coal coming in. You've got to take out the clinkers, the impurities, to keep the passion going at a top priority. Jesus reiterated all of this himself when he told us to take up our cross daily. When he told us to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And of course, he was quoting from Deuteronomy, Old Testament. Jesus reiterated this when he said, do not be ashamed of me. Well, if you're not going to be ashamed of Christ, you're keeping the passion hot, aren't you? He told us this by sharing us the story of the, the ten virgins. Five came with oil. Five did not come with oil. They had let the passion go out. So he's talking about this. There were no doubt Israelite people who were in attendance at this event, this great event, who had come to know, who or who would come to know in the days to come, what it meant to lose their passion for God. It would result from their own doing. No doubt it would possibly come from just not being careful in their lives, to neglect some things, to skip something here and there. But in time, these very people who were at that event that numbered in the thousands, there were people who found out what it was like to lose their passion. And no doubt the Spirit of God spoke to them with the words that God had given them back at this event. Now it's interesting that in this same passage, one verse before chapter uh, 7 and verse 14 and verse 13, God hints to them, if you let the passion go out, if you drift away from me, here is what you're going to experience. And he said to them, the heavens will stop their rain, pest will devour your crops, and you will experience sickness. Why would that happen? Because God is seeking to get their attention. You see, we have this, humans, this, this tendency as humans to just kind of continue on in our ways unless something wakes us up. We're people of, of, of kind of habit. We're people of, of going down a, a street and unless there's really a crisis that comes up, we just kind of keep on going the same way we have. And it so often seems like it takes a crisis. It seems to take something that really jolts us, that really wakes us up, to, to wake us up and to correct us and get us to knowing exactly what we need in our lives. And our passion will not be renewed unless we are shaken up, unless we are awoken from what's going on. So God makes a promise. If he gets our attention, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let go and let God. Well, let go of what? What would the challenge be? Let go of what? Simply this, our indifference to the things of God. Our love for anything that has surpassed our love for God, it would be let go. Let go of that. Our, our thing of going about in this life in ways that, 
that sometimes may leave God out almost entirely. Let go of our hearing the voice of God on something, but choosing to get distracted. And as God is speaking in one ear, our other ear is, is seemingly listening to things that are telling us, but, but you're really okay. Letting go of that. You see what I'm talking about? Is it making sense? God speaks, but there's so many other voices in there. God speaks and God is pulling, but God cannot force. We're people of choice. So God is speaking, but all these other voices are saying to us, but you're really okay. God speaks and we say, but I've got all this to take care of. God speaks, but we say, but but this is so important. God speaks, and we do this. So it's letting go of that. It's letting go of, of when God seems to bring, bring opportunities into our lives to pray and to call on God and to stoke our passion and to revive this holy passion, letting go of walking away from those opportunities and now grasping those opportunities and saying, Lord, I will. I will do this. I will do this. Letting go of, of our neglect of his written word. I don't know about you, but I've been thrilled about reading this Bible. I just, in fact, I was, I was somewhat in, in thinking, oh boy, got to start back in Genesis. And then you're going to get to Exodus and Leviticus. And some of that stuff is hard to read. But that Bible has done such a good job of keeping your attention and putting on in all the little footnotes that I haven't been bored yet. It's good stuff. Letting go of our neglect of God's Word and letting it collect dust. So letting go of that, but then it's let go and let God, let God do what? God wants to renew our passion, you know that? God's very interested in that thing. It's a promise, in fact. God says, I will do that for you. So we cry out to God, to do this. Number one, we must humble ourselves. You know what humbling yourselves is? Number one, we must humble ourselves. God, I was wrong. That's being humble, isn't it? God, I missed it. God, you spoke and I listened to other voices. Forgive me. God, you nudged me, but I got distracted. God, you gave opportunity, but I came up with excuses. Humble yourself. That's what he said. If my people will humble themselves. Now, what's interesting too is, God is not speaking to the sinners out there, is he? He's talking to his people. If my people will humble themselves. And God's people get to the place sometimes where they need to repent. God, I'm the one, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Humble ourselves. God, I need you. Number two, pray. You know what? I don't know 
if it's me or if if it's our day, that we have lost faith in prayer. We pray, but do we really believe God answers faith? Do we really let it just rest with God? God, here's my prayer, and I'm going to leave it with you. God, here's my prayer, and believe, or do we give the prayer and walk away with saying it's about like coming to Santa Claus? Well, I hope it happens. Probably not. Pray. Faith. And I'm talking about the spiritual things. Jesus kind of over and over in his word tells us, if you pray, if you ask, if you knock, you receive. So pray. But then he goes on to say, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Number three. Now we're talking about desperation. God, I will not give up. Till you answer. Desperation. I wonder if in our day we we kind of get to the humble. We kind of get to the pray. We kind of maybe get to a little bit of a faith level, but desperation, we, we slack off. Well, I've done what I need to do. Now I need to get to all the other things I need to do today. Desperation, I will not stop until I have found it. Boy, it's interesting. uh, The movie, The Way Home. It's a true movie. Father and mother lose their little boy out into the woods. And they get the church to pray. And they get the search team to doing what they're going to do. But you have a mother and father involved who say, to everyone else, I will not stop till I have found my child. What if we approach God that way? God, I will not stop till I know I have found your face. Desperation. And God was telling the Israelite people, I know right now you're spiritually right on where you need to be, but it's going to come. You're going to drift away. And when you do, humble yourselves, pray, and in desperation, seek my face. But there's one more thing. Number four, turn from your wicked ways. We cannot belligerently sin and expect God to bless us. Answer our prayers. God says, I'm a jealous God. I'm not going to make any bones about it. Me alone. No other gods. No other loves. Me alone. No other way. We're the bride of Christ, aren't we? If we are the bride of Christ, does Christ feel okay if we say, okay, we're your bride, Christ, but we do have other lovers too. That's okay, isn't it? Not at all. God said you must humble yourselves, you must pray, you must seek my face, and then turn from your wicked ways. Let go and let God. We're letting go of these things to pick up the things that God really brings before us. No games, the real thing God is calling us to.
Some of you don't remember the late 70s because you weren't born, obviously. But I remember the late 70s. Remember the speed limit went down to 55? That was because of energy, wasn't it? 55 supposedly saved energy. I can't explain it, but uh, running your car at that level saves energy. I don't know if many of you remember also back in those years, one or two years, they asked us to not put up Christmas lights. Do you remember that? Anybody in the Wichita area? It was to save energy. You know, somebody was Scrooge, don't put up lights. And so people didn't put up lights. There were other things going on in the late 70s, and that's when they kind of began to look into different kinds of windows and insulation for homes and and they probably could do this before the late 70s, but uh, they began to test homes. They could put an instrument on your home and find out where it was leaking heat, you know. And uh, Ronnie's going to put up a picture here that will kind of show you. They can, they can see where all the heat is being lost out of that house. And, um, you know, they can literally do that. Uh, Brent, do you know anything about this? Yeah. Okay. Okay, and they can kind of, have you worked with any people that then you kind of know where to work on to keep the leaks from? Okay. You would probably be surprised your home where the heat is leaking out at and how much is leaking out. But, but machines can do that, infrared, whatever it is. They can detect the heat loss, and some homes just leak like a faucet as you can imagine, some old homes, single-pane windows and very little insulation in the attic, and they're just leaking heat, you know, like that. Well, what am I trying to say to us this morning? God doesn't want us to be like a home that um, is so tight and bound up that there's nothing leaking out. Passion, I'm talking about. God wants to see us. If there were such a machine like that, he could look at us. And as he is looking at our spirit, and God does measure our spirit. God knows exactly what's going on. He wants to see a spirit. He wants to see a heart. He wants to see a love coming from us that just oozes with infrared passion. Not bound up, taped up, so tight that we've lost it. And that is what God wants us to do. God, it would be a prayer is for each one of us saying, God, I want, I want it so that when you sense my spirit and my heart, I am just oozing with your passion. Let's pray. Father, I, I wish we could go back to that scene this morning that the Bible here describes of the sacrifice and the temple being completed, the people worshiping in such a great number, your presence being there in such a way that fire came down and the people could only do one thing and that was to kneel and 
go prostrate to the ground. I wish we could go there. But I think from your word, Lord, we we sense what was going on there. But then to realize that one day doesn't lead to the next, to the next. In our passion for you, if we don't maintain it and stoke it and humbly come before you and seek your face in desperation and pray in faith and turn from any wicked way that might be in our lives. So as we pray this morning, let go and let God, Lord, it would be a matter of of our giving up anything in our lives that is displeasing to you. And our giving up the possibility of listening to any voice that would take us away from you. And calling upon you to renew our passion. May we be people, Father, that are like that and renewed. So right now, as we look to you, look into our hearts. Look into our lives. Look into all that we're doing, Lord. And remove anything that would not be of you. Now, Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives in us and will do everything for us that we need. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Stand with me.